It's Jim, it's the World of Bonds. It's Thursday the 29th of February 2024. This is my first ever leap year podcast. Ladies, I'm taken. Don't try the old proposing trick on me. This is for professional investors only. Never, ever investment advice. Right, I promised an update and last podcast on the eagerly awaited US PCE deflator inflation numbers that came out this afternoon. Would they surprise the market in the same way as the recent CPI data did in a negative way? Short answer is no. Well, the year-on-year PC deflator came in line with expectations at 2.8% year-on-year headline and 2.4% headline, 2.8% core. Both a bit lower than they were the month before. So January came in lower than December. And the useful three- and six-month annualised numbers came in or around the Fed's 2% inflation target. As the fear was that we were in the middle of seeing some sort of reacceleration in inflation, this has provided a bit of a sigh of relief amongst both bond and equity investors, really. So 10-year US Treasuries are down three or four basis points this afternoon at 4.23%. I remember Europe has also had some better inflation news this morning with uh, German CPI uh, down at 2.7% compared to 3.1% the month before. If you do want to get a little bit bared up about a re-acceleration store of inflation, though, I think that you could look at the super cool element of PCE uh, deflator, which strips out rents as well as food and energy. And that looks to be up something like 4% on an annualised basis, although the three and six year-to-date measures all still around 2%. So I don't think anyone's making too much of it. And uh, despite that, the fact that the Supercore number has been cited as being a a JPO favourite. So maybe it is a little bit surprising that markets did take that bit of the, the data so well. But nevertheless... As well as government bonds rallying today, um, we have the US dollar down, albeit only around a quarter of a percent or so. But against the Japanese yen, it's down nearly 1% today. And that's really driven by a, a, a bullish yen move today. And that's thanks to a Bank of Japan board member, Takata's comments this morning that the Bank of Japan's inflation target is, to quote, finally coming into sight. So the expectations are this year, the negative interest rate policy is expected to be coming to an end. March is, I think, about 25% now priced in as the month that that happens, that we move either either from um, minus 0.1 to zero or maybe even slightly positive. Remember that rates fell from 0.1 to minus 0.1 at the start of 2016 and they've been there ever since. So this would be the most significant monetary policy event in Japan for for about eight years. Now, the rest of what I want to talk about today is kind of ephemera, lots of little things, all of which deserve more time, but aren't going to get them, alas. So here we go with a bit of emerging market news, and let's start with Egypt. Now, just as we talked about a couple of days, we're talking about fiscal shocks generally being to the downside causing a ratcheting up of debt to GDP i.e. things like Covid or the GFC and it's quite rare for to get positive fiscal surprises and I think the same thing is generally true about shocks in emerging markets 
um, especially on the scale of this. But if you look at the bond price of Egypt's dollar 2051 bonds um, in October, they were trading at 50 cents in the dollar. They are, as of today, trading at more like 75 cents in the dollar. And uh, as I say, we've had a really big positive shock, and that's because Egypt has signed what the Egyptian Prime Minister calls the biggest deal in its history. Um, it signed that deal with the UAE, and the UAE is going to be investing around about $35 billion in a combination of real estate, holiday resorts, uh, and other projects. And the other good news about this in injection of capital from the UAE is that it unlocks a deal with the International Monetary Fund. So the IMF will, will help Egypt in a kind of virtuous circle as a result of getting some liquidity in from these third parties. But it also shows, I guess, the power of oil-rich sovereign wealth funds in, in the region uh, and globally that they're able to to effectively cause uh, an EM bond to, to rally by 50%. Next, what do you think caused the Great Depression in the United States in the 1930s? This, uh, I've been sitting on this for a while. I've not had time to, to talk about it in detail, and I won't today either. But if you've got a Bloomberg, um, Aaron Brown in a Bloomberg column looked at an academic paper called Teaching the Causes of the Great Depression to College Students, uh, colon evidence um, from history and economics textbooks, effectively. So this paper looks at what the textbooks, whether they are economically related or historical related textbooks, and says, how do they say what the causes of the Great Depression are? And the paper has spotted a big disconnect between the history books and the economists. And let's assume that the economists are the, the, the brains in the room here in terms of understanding what the economic causes of the Great Depression are. What, he, what the paper suggests is that the historians have not really looked at the academic evidence for the Great Depression and, and try and explain it in different ways that they put into their history books without any great explanation, without any academic um, empirical evidence. And so if you ask economists to uh, provide papers on what caused the Great Depression. They'll say things like it was a fall in aggregate demand, it was protectionism and the Smoot-Hawley Act, it was the shrinking of the money, money supply, it was bank failures, it was Fed policies, and it was a stock market crash, in that order. So those were kind of ordered as the things that, that caused the Great Depression, according to The Economist's. Now, when you read the history books, though, they talk about things like underconsumption, income inequality, um, overproduction, bankruptcies, underregulation, and the only common one was the stock market crash. Although they, 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 um, yeah, and they have that fairly low down list. So, as I say, the paper also finds lots and lots of factual errors in the history books and, uh, as we talked about, a complete lack of evidence being produced for the reasons that they say caused the Great Depression. Now, when I read the, the, the reports on this paper, I, I do think that some of those categories, or they have different names, sound like they're talking about the same sort of thing. So, underconsumption, which is um, what the history books talk about, doesn't sound very different from... Um, a, a fall in aggregate demand. But it is interesting, nevertheless, that uh, the paper does think that the, the historians aren't really doing a very good job of explaining what happened. There you go. 
Now uh, we talked about UK UK fertility falling in the last podcast. Remember that we're down at 1.49 babies per woman as of I think 2022, which is the lowest it's been um, in England and Wales. Well, this week South Korea came out with its fertility numbers, and that's fallen down to 0.72. Um, babies per woman, which implies, uh, you know, well, some of the papers putting an extinction event for South Korea. Um, Mike Bird of The Economist points out that in 1989, Japan panicked in what was called then the 1.57 shock uh, when Japan's fertility rate fell to 1.57 babies per, per woman. Um, which still is higher than it is in the UK, but is double what it is now in Japan, in South Korea. So um, things to worry about there in terms of uh, shrinking populations. Right, finally, uh, is it finally? Uh, No, it isn't even finally in in the list of ephemera. I'm going to very quickly, a one-liner, Wendy's Burgers, if you ever tried one, they're the square burgers, not bad in my opinion. Uh, American thing, no really, you can probably get them in that there, London. Um, but Wendy's Burgers facing a big backlash when it was rumoured um, that it installed these electronic screens in all its stores in order to introduce dynamic pricing of burgers. So when things got busy, they'd hike their prices dramatically or um, etc. So everyone hates a bit of dynamic pricing and Wendy's is facing the backlog there in, a, in an inflationary world where food eating out in particular costs an absolute fortune in America really is finally this time and it's about the minimum wage in california um they've just set a new minimum wage for fast food workers of 20 dollars per hour there the scandal though gavin newsom who was kind of talked about as a possible democratic contender if biden were to you know pull out of the race um as a credible one there he apparently is uh Um, excluded from that minimum wage thing any fast food joints that also sell freshly baked bakery products and lots of stories in reputable um, newspapers suggesting that may be because of his relationship with uh, the owner of a big fast food chain that does indeed also sell some freshly baked bakery products and so that's turning into a little bit of a scandal for Gavin Newsom in California nevertheless minimum wage there for fast food workers has gone up to $20 a barrel Gavin Newsom says this is just all about how the sausage is made in policy nowadays Um, one way of putting it right uh, I'll speak to you next week probably in the wake of the UK's budget next Wednesday have good weekends bye